It's like, you know how you're miserable right now? That's the best you're ever going to feel. It's 2017 now. We've basically elected Hitler, and somehow people still think that PDFs are okay. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. This week, we are reviewing The Girl Before. Whoa, whoa. Uh, it, is this two book reviews in a row? I just want to make this sure. Is, yes, two. Yeah, right. I guess three. Two book reviews in a row. Yes, this is. <laughs> um, which I thought it was three, and we were going to take a break next week. I don't know. We'll no. have to talk about yeah. it later, I guess. <laughs> Um, this book, um, so we didn't want to miss out on this one because we fucking missed out on Gone Girl, right? Like that yeah. was top of the charts for like two years, like, right? Yeah, ever, yeah. And then somehow we missed the girl on the train as well, which then now in combined whatever ebook and fiction is like a hundred weeks on the list. Two years. It's been on the list. We missed that one. <laughs> this book is this year's version of Gone Girl. And the girl on a train. And it even has girl in the title, which tells you it's going to be number one at some point, right? Because the previous yeah. two both shared that. Yeah. That's the formula. I'm writing a book with the, the title girl in it right now as we speak. Yeah. 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 The girl that got on the train before the train left. Exactly. Before the train yeah. got gone from the station. Yeah. The girl. And then I'm going to put the word tattoo in there somewhere because I'm calling, I'm pulling back to, you know, like a decade ago. Yeah. Wow. The girl think, with the I tattoo think... who was on the train before. Uh... I will tell you, there's there's at least one writer listening right now that's revamping the title of his book, even if there isn't a woman in it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So um, that's what we have. So uh, Rob is going to give you the author bio. And yeah, I've been resisting that. Well. I was like, I was playing with you to see if you'd make me. Yeah. So uh... <laughs> no, well, you're gonna do the bio. I'm gonna do the really long ass. Oh my god, the the synopsis. So this is a weird bio. I'm gonna say that up front, and I'll explain it afterwards. But uh, here's the bio for the author: The Girl Before is the first psychological thriller from J.P. Delaney, a pseudonym for a writer who has previously written best-selling fiction under other names. It is being published in 35 countries. A film version is being brought to the screen by Academy Award-winning director Ron Howard. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who Ron Howard is, um, he's he narrated Arrested Development. Oh, is that is that <laughs> yeah. who he is? Yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> Little shout out to my to Misty Bennett, friend of the podcast. She would really appreciate yeah. that. Um, speaking of Arrested Development, did you hear that the next season is going to be a prequel? How can that even be like? No, I, I don't know. I right saw now? that. I saw that somewhere. If you want to pause and do some research, I, I saw that somewhere, and I didn't pay a lot of attention because I'm not a fan of the show. I'm definitely gonna be looking it up while you read this synopsis. <laughs> All right, um, Ron Howard, also known um, Richie Cunningham. I mean, oh, that's really uh, his most celebrated work. Happy right? days. From Happy days. Yeah. 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 And apparently, he's directed some movies. Whatever director. <laughs> So, it's Richie Cunningham. Right. So people always know him for. All right. Please make a list of every possession you consider essential to your life. The request seems odd, even intrusive. And for the two women who answer, the consequences are devastating. Emma. Reeling from a traumatic break-in, Emma wants a new place to live. But none of the apartments she sees are affordable or feel safe until 1 Folgate Street. The house is an architectural masterpiece, a minimalist design of pale stone, plate glass, and soaring ceilings. But there are rules. The enigmatic architect who designed the house retains full control. No books, no throw pillows, no photos or clutter or personal effects of any kind. The space is intended to transform its occupant 
and it does. Jane. After a personal tragedy, Jane needs a fresh start. When she finds one Folgate Street, she is instantly drawn to the place and to its aloof but seductive creator. Moving in, Jane soon learns about the untimely death of the home's previous tenant, a woman similar to Jane in age and appearance. As Jane tries to untangle truth from lies, she unwittingly follows the same patterns, makes the same choices, crosses paths with the same people, and experiences the same terror as the girl before. Roll credits. Yeah, that's a that's a lot to take in. So I'm gonna try to break it down for for folks a little bit. Um, the book is told from two points of view: uh, that of Emma and that of Jane, who we just mentioned, and it's alternating chapters. Um, in a lot of ways, at the same times for them, so that it doesn't take place at the same time. These stories take place. Hey, you're apart. Rob, would you say I don't think it's ever really specific, but it's not um, a long period. It's like of time. three years apart. Is it three years yeah, apart? It's like okay. Three years, yeah. Um, so we see um, Emma, um, you know, and her boyfriend Simon trying to find uh, a new place to live after Emma's uh, break in and she was attacked by uh, and and robbed. So she feels unsafe. So we see them out with a realtor looking at apartments. And then we see Jane out with a realtor looking at apartments, which is three years later. Then we see the realtor mention this weird property to Emma and Simon. And then we see the pre so that's it goes like that up to, you know, including the move in dates, you know, and it all runs parallel to three years ago for for the the previous tenant being Emma and then we're you know Jane today. Yes, parallel trajectories kind of. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the interesting or unique things about the one Fulgate Street house is that it is um, this really beautiful, very modern, probably quite expensive design that is uh, offered at a rate like a rental rate that is far 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 below what it would you know actually on the market go for but there are like some serious serious uh rules for living there including like just like the basics like you can't have books in the house and you can't you know you know bring your own furniture or rugs and and things like that and um you can't leave things laying around so it's a very restrictive uh set of rules for um this house but because of how beautiful it is and the price and everything, it's a very attractive um, thing for people. As they're, they're deciding whether they want to go for it or not, we're talking about Emma with um, Simon, but then also later on Jane, um, they're confronted with the fact that they have to make an application, which involves answering, like, I can't remember, it was just a bunch of questions, like multiple pages of questions, and they're told that very, very few people actually get accepted. So from the get-go... They fall in love with the place. The price is right, but they're you know they're worried that uh, if they're going to make the cut or not. So it's obvious that in the setup of this book, a very specific type of person is expected to be the people who, um, you know, occupy this place, and that's kind of how we're introduced to uh, Edward, who is the architect who designed the house and also the owner. Who is and now this is like this is like the first time I got a hint of like, oh man, are we going there? He's this like billionaire. I'm, I'm, I don't think he's a billionaire, but he's a super rich architect guy who like essentially has whatever resources he wants in the world. But he also just happens to be like 
attractive and he has a very dominant personality. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, are we going down the road of like Fifty Shades of Grey or uh, with the name Edward? Isn't that the dude from Twilight? The vampire dude? Yes, but apparently there are some other men named Edward in the world. It's fairly common from what yeah. I hear. Uh, well, I mean, sure, sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, in addition to the questionnaire and, and the interview that most people don't make it past, um, one of the other things that the tenants subject themselves to or agree to is um, your frequent monitoring by the house and um, follow-up questions to the psychological tests that they take. So, uh, for and this is just kind of setting up because this unfolds through the course of the story, but we just want to give you an idea of, of how these uh, women are living. Um, occasionally, uh, they're, so they, they don't have access to, like, Google anymore. They, they use a program called Housekeeper, and this is the kind of house where you wear a band that identifies you. Like, as you walk into a room, it sets the light to what you normally like the light to be like. You get in the shower, and it remembers the temperature of the shower that, you know, the shower water that you like and that type of thing. And um, Housekeeper is what you use whenever you use the Internet, and it also controls all the things within within the home. But um, you wake up one morning and go to use a shower and, and find out that it's not working because um, it is time for you to answer, you know, five or six questions as a follow-up. And it basically tracks if you're becoming more of a minimalist or maybe more of a perfectionist or, or whatever. And the goal isn't very clear you know, throughout most of the book on, on what the questions are geared towards, I guess. But typically, um, more along the lines of, you know, to, to see if you've, if the house has changed you. And that's really the architect's goal was to design a place that um, could make you a better person. To pause for a second, um, would you choose to live there? Having read the entire book, would you choose to live there? Um, I know, I, you know, I, I don't... Not a terribly messy person, but I don't think I can live in that minimalistic of a. I, it sounds like a great place from the technology standpoint. I, I, I'm assuming. All right, so I'm sure listeners have already figured out some shit goes down in this book, or it wouldn't <laughs> be a book, right? So no, because one of the tenants ends up dead, as is mentioned in the synopsis. So no, I, I don't want to be killed. But no, other than that, I, I I don't think I could live quite like that. I would. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't, and like I said, I don't, you were like, no books, I'm like, you know me, the only books I own now are, are basically ones by people I know or signed copies, it's probably 40 or 50 books in total, and, and if they weren't um, special to me, and that, like I said, I actually know those people or met them and had them signed, I wouldn't have, a, you know, half of those, so I could live without that kind of stuff, but I don't know, man, I'm just not, I like stuff. <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. I, yeah. uh, well, I think the main compelling factor for me would be that I would be living in a super expensive house that would be way outside of my normal means. Mm -hmm. So, and I could probably oh, have... And, and the rich millionaire, of course. Oh, yeah. I'd have or to... the hook, rich, yeah. the handsome millionaire. I, I guess any millionaire is basically rich. I would definitely, yeah. Well, yeah. I would definitely be drawn to the attractive um, Fifty Shades of Grey style billionaire kind of guy, too. All right. Here's, here's <laughs> a little bit... <laughs> Here's a little bit about our um, our uh, characters. So Emma and Simon move into the house again because of a break-in, um, but their relationship is kind of on the rocks already and, uh, and ends, which is probably why he's not mentioned at all in the synopsis. So their relationship ends uh, pretty early on in the book. Um, Jane has had um, a stillbirth, 
so not even a miscarriage in that she um, carried almost full term and then had to carry uh, and the, the most terrible part of the book by the way or, or any of the sections where she talks about this um, carries a, uh, a, a her her dead baby for three days I believe it is because she has to deliver it naturally because of how late term it was I guess yep. they don't just remove it so she is uh, just not able to continue on with her her, her high paying job. She winds up going to work for um, for what it, what is the group that she works for? I know that it's based. Is it for women who have had miscarriages and stillbirths? It is a yeah. It's like a support group, yeah. like nonprofit for women who have experienced stillbirths. Mm-hmm. Like it's called so like Still she, Hope or something like that. Yes, yeah. Actually, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that was the name, and that makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. Um, so her income is reduced and stuff, and she's looking for for a place that's a little less expensive. Wanted to get out of the place that she had decorated for her baby and and all this stuff that makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> both of them wind up entering into relationships with the rich millionaire, uh, with the rich. Why do I keep calling it rich millionaire? With the handsome millionaire, the architect. <laughs> you really want to emphasize the richness yeah. of this yeah. millionaire? Yes, he is a very rich millionaire. Um, they both wind up entering into relationships with him, but through the course of the book, and we're not probably not going to talk a whole lot about the story because I think that yeah. this enters spoiler territory probably in the 50% range. But um, Jane starts investigating Emma's death. So as we're seeing what's happening with Emma, Jane is learning things, and it's written really well in a pacing structure that like you read something jane discovers something and then basically you kind of see it happen to emma or how it happened on her end so to speak so i mean it's it's super interesting for story structure i thought that that part was delivered very very well yeah i'll agree with that um i although i i we i'm trying to think of other specific um examples but i know that we've been seeing this more often recently and that's like the chapter perspectives where like every chapter is from the perspective of a specific character and while it works and especially like the exact um structure of of this book kind of requires it um going back and forth i think that that's something that i'm seeing a lot more of recently is one chapter is from the perspective of this character and another is from the perspective of that character and while it seems potentially complicated to do that I'm starting to get tired of that, <laughs> like that type of like, you know, structure, that format. It's like, why don't you just write the book? And I mean, so the cha- here's one of the things that just from very the very first, when you look at the table of contents, it's like Emma, then Jane, now Emma, then Jane, now. And like, that's how it goes back and forth, back and forth. And it's like every other chapter is the same. So I'm like, oh, here we go. So I was like, at the beginning, I wasn't even super excited about that aspect of it and we've seen several books like that recently so i'm not super excited about it but the the way the story plays out it was necessary i just don't think it needed to be so i don't know obvious either way kind of bothered me but (laughs) um it works quite well and and like livia was saying so the thing that i thought was cool about that was maybe jane discovers something and then we see emma's perspective of that thing and we see you know how it may be different or we see Emma's perspective on something, and then Jane some, does something very similar or something like that. So it's it's interesting to see how how the do, two stories really do parallel each other, um, and to see where they differ, and to see where like that difference between the two causes people to make specific decisions. So I'm going to go ahead and say that it, overall the format works, but 
it's getting kind of tired. If if Livius and I decide on another book and I see that it's like chapter perspectives from different characters, I'm going to be really pissed off. Yeah, I agree with you because Dracula versus Hitler, the last book we reviewed, did that. Yeah. Um, from four perspectives, five perspectives maybe total. Um, and, and maybe it was unnecessary to tell the story that way. Like in that one, you know, the omnipotent narrator could have handled all of it. Right. Um, in this one, yeah, I, I think it's integral to the structure of the story because quite honestly, if I read Emma's story and then Jane's story, like chronologically, it, it would definitely have not had the same impact that it does. So, um, but you're right. I think that, yeah, I think the next one, the next book we read is going to have to be kind of a straight through you know, first person narrative or, or, or something. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. I think that we're seeing more of this. And, you know, a lot of this might have to do with the fact that this is becoming successful. So I'm not sure about um, the the two predecessors that we mentioned, The Girl on the Train, and which I did watch the movie, by the way. So I totally know what that's about. And I could see where that might have been written from multiple perspectives. Yeah. Um, and then Gone Girl, I believe, also may have been just from what I know of the general story, and I haven't seen that movie or read the book, um, but, you know, they have girl in the title written from multiple perspectives, twisty, turny <laughs> stories that involve women in relationship. Like, mm -hmm. you're starting to see a pattern emerge, right? So, It's the hot ticket. Um, if you notice that we've kind of wandered away from telling story, it's because, like, probably there's not a lot we can talk about. And this story... Um, hinges on the reveal like the kind of as things reveal as they're gone and like the little twists that we see along the way and the big twists that we see toward the end and how obvious maybe those twists were or were not so probably we're not going to touch talk much more about the actual story um but i have some thoughts on the on the mechanics of the story but suffice to say like the the basic trajectory of this story is emma had this kind of tragic storyline uh from that began when she uh, started to occupy one Fullgate street jane is the new tenant and um is going in a similar direction and then starts to investigate like livia said emma's experience and we're left to think well how is this going to go like what what's going to happen and so it's those as those two stories start to mix together um that's when uh, you know Things get crazier and crazier. Um, obviously, a big question is who, if anybody, was responsible for the death of Emma. Was it Emma herself? Was it Simon? Was it Edward? Was it someone entirely else? Um, and so it's kind of a mystery, kind of a whodunit, where Jane is is the big investigator kind of story. But I don't really think that there's much more we can reveal about the story itself. Um, no. I mean, there are some things, like you said, mechanics and kind of other things that went on in the story. So the one thing we should touch on, because both Rob and I thought this um, independently while we were reading it, and Rob has mentioned it a couple of times now, um, the, the the Fifty Shades of Grey reference. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely some, um, I think I'm spoiling it by saying this, but definitely a, a domineering sexual presence by um, Edward, the architect and owner of the house. And as I mentioned before, they, they both uh, both become involved with him at some point. Um, and, yeah, uh, you know, all right. So we, we, we didn't talk about the pseudonym thing, right? But were you under the impression this was written by a woman just as yeah, you started? Oh, yeah. Reading it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's not written by a woman. 
it's written by a man, which makes perfect you, sense. And, and now, did you do you know who the actual who the pseudonym refers to? Yes. Who is the? Because I tried to find out and then I couldn't figure it oh, out. Oh, yeah, no, I can hold on a second. I, it was nobody I'd ever heard of, so I didn't really put much stock in it. But um, give me uh, two seconds. And is I it will... like Tom something? Yeah, I don't know how you didn't find it because I typed in J.P. Delaney pseudonym. That's what I searched <laughs> for. Really? Yeah. Is it Thomas? I think it's Thomas something. Yeah, Tony Strong, and I will read mm, just yeah. what Google pulls up. The Death Pit, The Decoy, Tell Me Lies, The Poison Tree. I've never heard of any of these. So never, I, I yeah. understand that they were bestsellers, but this isn't, um, what's her name? Uh, um, Harry Potter lady. You know, J.K. Superman. Rowling. So, yeah, the, the, it's, yeah, it's not quite that big of a deal. I, I was at first surprised. I thought it was written by a woman. But the women in this book are written in a way that I think feminists would kill the woman writer if it was a woman that wrote it. Does that make sense? Um, as like kind of wanting to be victims? A little bit. I mean, not not <laughs> Jane so much as Emma. And, and again, not to spoil the story, but Emma winds up having a very submissive kind of relationship with, with Edward. Uh, Jane starts going down that road. And maybe if we do spoiler talk, we'll talk about some of the other things that occur where you're like, yeah, th- at some point I'm like, this is how men think women act. <laughs> like that was really yeah, my, my yeah, thought. Yeah. And I was in my mind, I'd gotten it in there that it was a woman writing this, maybe because the author of Gone Girl was a woman. Maybe that's where I kind of just assume, I don't know. No, G. Flynn. Yeah, but, you know, these domineering sexual relationships with a man kind of reminded me a little bit of Fifty Shades of Grey. And then um, the weird fucking contract for living somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Come that's on. the other thing. Yep, sure. Like, and then like, con- like control in the form of like a written agreement is definitely thematic with Fifty Shades of Grey, for sure. Yeah, and even how um, he would treat them when he was in person was very, and, and mm-hmm. although passively because he wasn't super aggressive about things but he was always kind of very judgmental on everything that that they did um which you know plays well with the story because it is his house and it's perfection it's supposed to be maintained a certain way so whenever he would kind of you know frown at you know how they had some magazines on the table or something i mean it made sense in the course of the story not just for him to be a domineering dick but the whole setup was to live here, you have to live this particular way. So, yeah. Um, so like the other, so I think the big theme with like 50 shades of gray though, is just like, he's the damaged guy who, because we don't, we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but like the, the history, and I don't think this is spoiling anything. The history of Edward, the architect is that he tragically lost his wife and child, um, in an accident. And so he's a widower, who, um, you know, like that's kind of, that's one of the first things that both Jane and Emma discover about him. And so he's got this tragic broken past, but he's this super rich guy who like has a very domineering, dominant kind of thing. And it's all, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, please God, just don't be like the British 50. Well, I guess E.L. James is British anyway, so maybe that's just, hey, I'm I'm figuring something out here. Maybe the Brits just really like their guys to be rich and, like, dominant, but somehow, like, pretend to be broken, even though, whatever. Anyway, the parallel was, <laughs> was, uh, was a little much for me. It mm-hmm. took, a, it was enough where it took away from the story, like, in the way where, like, um, 
I got to thinking to myself, fuck, if this is like the the structure that all of like modern stories are going to be based on, I'm going to just kill the entire world. I'm I'm voting Trump in for a second term, like if if that's the way that we're going with with making books. <laughs> Trump doesn't even want a second term. <laughs> He's got a countdown clock of his own. Like I'm going to to do this shit. He's like, can you wake me up in four years? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, even the conversation that Edward has with all the women, and when I say this, he because he says it, that every relationship he's in with is always like a, hey, we both just kind of agree to be in this relationship just for as long as it's perfect. And some of the best relationships are only, you know, a week long or whatever. You know what I mean? So he's got this kind yeah. of non-committal attitude towards relationships, which, again, was a lot like um christian in in 50 shades of gray only his was like it's sex only sign this contract you know there will be no dating his is like we're gonna date but probably really briefly because you know as <laughs> once this turns to be not perfect like we're just gonna part ways yeah um can i while we're on that topic can i i'm gonna i've actually adopted a new dating um uh, <laughs> approach Yes, please do. I'd love that to hear I got this. From this. So if there's, I mean, if nothing else came from this book, it's the fact that like, I've got a new, when I'm, when I'm going on a date with a girl, I'm going to read this quote to them and see, see what they think about it. This is my barometer for relationships. Now human relationships like human lives tend to accumulate the unnecessary Valentine's cards, romantic gestures, special dates, meaningless endearments, all the boredom and inertia of timid, conventional relationships that have run their course before they've even begun. But what if we strip all that away? There's kind of a purity to a relationship unencumbered by convention, a sense of simplicity and freedom. Dot, 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 take off your top. That last part was mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially saying, hey, we should just fuck for a little while. <laughs> I'm going to try that as soon as possible and see now here's the problem i yeah, feel I was like gonna, i was gonna point out the problem <laughs> to you but i think you already see it so. i feel like i i really mirror this character edward in almost every way but there's one way that i think is very important to this entire thing and it's the bank account <laughs> well yeah and and you're not really that broken so you're only a little broken Oh, well, thank you. I, I find yeah. that to be very, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, I get the feeling if you were um, a millionaire, that would go over much, oh much my better. God. Well, I said it like but, in my Aston Martin as we're pulling up to my mansion. Yeah. 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 If you could, though, keep us updated on how yeah. this works for you yeah. um, whenever you use it, the listeners would greatly appreciate it. So, yeah, we'll do an update. Um, I mean, we'll give it a couple weeks. We'll give it a couple weeks. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'll post a picture of like one side of my face being really swollen from being punched. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's it. I mean, I think that's all we're going <laughs> to yeah. talk about from from a book standpoint. Um, a, a little bit on the womanizing side in, in a way that I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to say that there wasn't any redemption for the female characters, but I felt like they were written um, a lot like. And, and I hate to say it because I hate the term, but it's like written by a guy with like, like white male privilege, basically. <laughs> yes. I, I yes. mean, right. And I, I, yeah. I hate that term and I hate the connotations around it and whatever, you know, but it really I was feeling it. And I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm telling you, I was like, man, this woman is going to catch a lot of flack from women. And then I found out <laughs> it wasn't a woman. 
Yeah. And, and somehow I don't feel he's going to catch any flack at all because he's going to be dismissed as just being a guy writing women. So then this is what we do, I guess. So Yeah, and this perpetuates a really weird thing, which basically, and this is like the tie to Fifty Shades of Grey and all that, but like if, if you th- think about it, the theme of this plus the theme of Fifty Shades of Grey and all that kind of stuff is that like if you've got a really big resource of cash you can just keep buying women until you find the right one and then to me i'm like that sounds awesome because it takes all the work out of relationships right right because <laughs> i'm a guy you know, okay but here, here's my problem with with the and you know i don't want to say it was a feminist approach but to women's approach to 50 shades of gray and ultimately i think to women that might read this book that um that feel that way about things because I don't think it's all women. I think a lot of women will read this book and, and find in it an interesting mystery and thriller. Yep. Um, yeah. Aside from from that, the the pro it goes back to the um, I remember I saw an, an internet meme and it was something like women should be able to to you know do and wear whatever they want and then they showed some slutty trashy dressed girl and they're like but not like that. So you see what I'm saying? I, I yeah. saw things in this book yeah. that I, I recognize from true life stories and people I've known and whatever reactions of the two women that, that I can't say were far reaching, that I, I've seen them happen. But I guess when you write a story that includes real life situations like that, you're, I, I don't know, you're perpetrating a stereotype, but a stereotype exists because people behave in a way that it becomes stereotypical. So you've got this like cycle of. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a, what is that called? Of, like a Nerubarus or whatever? That like snake that eats itself? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that said aloud though. I know I, what you're saying. It's like O U R B O U R. Yeah, yeah. There's all a bunch yeah, of like it's like yeah. it's like ninety sure. percent vowels. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know what I'm talking about. Um, yep. Here's what I would like to say though. Having had that discussion, I was thinking to myself, you know what book would sell like fucking crazy, or or literally not at all, like the gender flipped. You know, of this entire kind of format that we're going, like if there's like this super rich woman who just like keeps recruiting the same type of dude until she like finds the perfect type of that dude. Because like I would like to be that dude. I'm like middle class. I'm not. There's no. I don't have a ton of money. <laughs> but if like some super rich woman was like, "Hey, let's uh, let's fly to you know my house in Aspen and we'll just bang a bunch," and but I'll tell you how special you are. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I. Uh, I'll do that. You're right. That would that would sell not at all. I, not I, at I all. wouldn't say it's all at all. <laughs> it would sell to a very small percentage of men. A very very yeah. small percentage yeah. of men. Probably so. rich. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Anyway, but um, there's a couple other themes in the book that I want to point out that Livius and I didn't agree on, because we both felt the Fifty Shades of Grey feel. I felt kind of an ex machina, um, a thing, and I think it's because something that we didn't explore as much was the whole. The house was super technologically advanced. And so I think one of the hopes of the book was that it was going to create an atmosphere where the house had its own personality. And it even, like, probably be four or five times throughout the book, tried to create the idea that the house itself had some sort of emotional stake in what was going on. But it was so kind of, like, sparsely explored that it didn't really land but at the same time, I felt like it was this, like, have you seen, you've seen Ex Machina? I have, yes. Um, kind of a secluded, not secluded because it was like in the middle of London, but like 
the way the house is built is it, it kind of like separates you from the rest of the world and it becomes its own space, but it's all super technologically advanced and like, um, you know, measuring your emotions and, and, and through all those surveys and stuff, kind of customizing itself to you. And I felt like there was this rich guy creating a super technologically advanced environment kind of feel to it that I got off of Ex Machina. But like it was it was way, way overshadowed by like the Fifty Shades of Grey, like, you know, Red Room of Danger or whatever kind of feel that I got. I uh, after you said it, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I quite honestly, I, I, Ex Machina was a good movie, but I don't think I gave it another thought other than that dancing scene, which was brilliant. Oh, that was like, all right. So, can we talk about that for a second? Yes. What was the line? Um, best line in the movie. I really wish I remembered exactly what it was, and I, I care so much about it that I'm even willing to pause and find it online. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, I found. I did look online, and I found the. <laughs> by far probably the most brilliant and 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 for the people who love ex machina they're probably going to hate me for the people who just thought it was okay they're going to be completely on my side the quote that i thought was the best quote in the entire um movie was it was it took place after um nathan tore up the picture that the the robot drew and they're talking about it, and it's the dance scene that you're talking about, Livius. And mm-hmm. Caleb, the visitor guy, says, you tore up her picture. And Nathan says, I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. <laughs> that is, oh yeah, now that you say that, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't care how evil or fucking soulless this person is. That is the best line I've heard in a long fucking time. What I love about that is <laughs> that 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 scene had a feel, and I, I realize we're completely off base here. Yeah, but it was so misplaced in that movie that it was like <laughs> the guy who made the movie just always wanted to in a movie do this, and here he's finally got a movie that's got a, a decent budget, and it's probably going to be seen by a lot of people. He's like, I've just got to incorporate this fucking dance scene into this yep. movie somehow. Oh I don't care God. how how much it doesn't <laughs> fit, and I'll tell you, it's easily the most memorable scene in that movie. <laughs> Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, I <laughs> thought of the only thing collectively that that I, I knew Rob and I had in common, and with this podcast that I thought about this book was um, before I go to sleep. Yeah. In that same kind of you know almost unreliable narrator mystery thriller, who did it? It's one of these likely one of these you know what I don't remember what it was specifically in that book, like three or four people, um, and, and I'm trying to find out what happened. Um, that was the, I thought 50 shades of gray and that were the, were the two kind of crossover, you know, if you combine those two had a baby that this could be that baby. I'm going to agree with that. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense to me. It's got the right kind of feel tone that before I go to sleep did. So I'll agree with that. But with that ex machina kind of future technology thing, which if you follow us over to, I think we're going to, I'm going to insist we do a little spoiler talk. I'm going to explore that a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I'll agree. All right. Patreon, um, contributors, uh, this is your chance to go hear spoiler talk. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, maybe listening to wrap ups before you head over to listen to spoiler talk. Cause I, I, I don't know if you're going to want to read this book or not. And certainly listening to spoiler talk is, is a bad idea if you think you're going to. So maybe hold <laughs> off, sure. but Rob and I are going to go do that while we're feeling it. So we'll be back. Oh, hey, I know I promised the page count update. Are you ready for the page count update, Rob? I am on the edge of my seat, my friend. Drum roll, please. January is officially over in like two hours, and we are at 879 pages.
Hey, I'm feeling pretty good about that. If we kept that up, we'd be at like, I don't know, like 11,000 or something at the end of the year. I think we're on track, man. We are on track. And that's with a really short book. So one of those books is 27 pages. Yeah, that's true. I think we need to read a pretty hefty one for our next uh, our next review. Just keep pushing it. I, I, yeah, I get the feeling we will. <laughs> All right. I listened um, to the Dracula versus Hitler episode, and I realized how bad I go, hey, we're back, because I said, hey, we're going. And then I said, hey, we're back. But um, we just finished Spoiler Talk. If you're a Patreon contributor at any level, patreon.com slash books, Spoiler Talk will be available for you. Um, strongly recommend, as with all other spoiler talks, that you only listen if you definitely are not going to read the book and or you've already read the book and you just want to hear um, a little more of a deep dive into um, the ending of the book and maybe some plot issues and stuff that we don't want to talk about for and spoil for people who haven't read it. That's right, but I think now we're at the point where we're ready to wrap this up. Why don't you give it a, why don't you give it a go? I mentioned in spoiler talk that I was going to have some trouble with a rating on this because there were some issues with the book that mostly we talk about over there. I talked about the characters. I don't want to say they were one dimensional, but they were maybe and and I go both ways on this. I just don't normally care because I'm not really a meninist or, or whatever, but even the male characters were written very stereotypically. Um, but man, I kept turning pages. I wanted to know what happened. Um, and, and again, spoiler talk is the best place to hear some of the stuff I love the most about this book. Um, there's some twists in there. I thought they were handled masterfully. There's some stuff that's really chilling that happened in there. I'm not going to go into, I only had a couple of quotes, but they were um, written around Jane losing her baby that, I mean, get, made me get a little teary-eyed. Um the book is written really solidly in my opinion. And although there are some issues and some things that maybe weren't explored to their fullest extent, I still really enjoyed it. And, uh, I found myself reading faster than I'm comfortable with at some points to get to, to the story. Um, which again, I think is, is a sign of a great book. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one four stars. I am really shocked by that. To be completely honest with you, I did not think it was going to get such a rating out of you. I really I, listen. I'm really surprised <laughs> by my own rating. So I, I understand why you would be. I did not. I did not expect it to hit that high for you. Um, here's here's my thoughts. Uh, I'll agree with Livius. This was definitely a page turner. This is definitely something where um, it's an easy thing to read, and it's easy to get caught up in and invested in what's going to happen. Um, so if there's anything that I can give it credit for, it's the fact that it really makes you care about what's coming next. Without spoiling anything, I will say that what came next at some points was not super uh, satisfying. And um, that's where I kind of had a problem. The end really fell apart for me. Um, some of the characters went in directions where I didn't agree with. Um, I didn't feel it was natural. Um, I think it was kind of a soft ending. I think it was like kind of like, and as much as they could, they all lived happily ever after. There was some redemption that I felt was forced um, or undeserved for some of the characters. Uh, overall, the book itself, the first 80%, if like I got 80% into the book and suddenly there was like nothing after that, I'd be like, wow, that was an interesting book and I would really appreciate it. Some of the stuff at the end just didn't sit well with me. Uh, some mechanics that I didn't bring up during the regular review, just because I forgot to, but I want to make sure I point out before, before the review is over, is some of the, uh, I can't remember what the exact like, I can't remember what the exact, um, technical term for this is but like you know the he said 
she said he exclaimed like that part um fucking annoyed the hell out of me um at one point uh before a quote she says i'm like and then quote and then whatever she says he goes <laughs> sorry i know exactly what you mean he goes she goes it's something that's it's consistent throughout the book and I know that J.P. Delaney, whoever the hell that person really is, Tony, whatever, is going to say that that goes to authenticity. Fuck you. That is sloppy writing. And it's really fucking annoying. Um, and so, yeah. So, example. Wel- welcome, Emma and Simon. She goes, please take a seat. Edward will see you shortly. Fuck you. That loses an entire an entire star just because that is so fucking annoying. I can't tell you. Ugh, like, I can't tell you how much that bothers me. So that's a mechanic that really made the book suffer, just from the fact that it's so fucking insufferable. Um, <laughs> the book in general actually reads really well. I had a problem with the ending, and had a problem with some of the mechanics of it, and I had a real problem with the fact that it really mirrors some of the things I hated most about Fifty Shades of Grey. So a book that may have been as high as three and a half stars for me is going to land around two stars, for the reasons that I just mentioned. Well, there you go, J.P. Delaney, pseudonym guy. Um, <sighs> can we talk about pseudonyms for a minute? Yeah, I'd love to. We had a we had a long conversation recently with a with a close friend of this podcast about pseudonyms, and in some cases, I, I get it. I don't understand. So J.K. Rowling was I want to prove I can sell a good book without my name on it, right? I don't know. I mean, I know this guy said he's best selling. I just I, I don't. I really don't understand pseudonyms, I guess. The best explanation I've gotten for a pseudonym was from Brian Evanson, who wanted to differentiate his literary work from his sure. non-literary work. Outside yeah, and of that, that yeah. And, and I'm going to agree with that. And his isn't even a It's like BK Evanson and Brian Evanson. It's 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 not a stretch. Yeah. It's not it's more of going a, under Joe Smith. It's right. more of a differentiator than a pseudonym, I guess. Right, is right. Really. Yeah, he's and, not and creating I, an entirely different personality or anything. Yep. I totally respect that. I'm going to go a step farther, and I think that authors should use their initials instead of their first name whenever they're going to put out a collection of short stories, too. Because then I know I don't have to get as excited. <laughs> well, that's, that's what happens. You're approach, like, yeah. oh, my God, this person has another book. And you're like, oh, it's a collection of short stories. But if they just used their initials. I would automatically know, kind of like what Evanson does. Like, I like a lot of Evanson's work, but I really don't want to read any of the video game stuff because I'm not into the video games. It's probably not going to make a lot of sense to me. So when I see a BK Evanson book, I know that I'm probably not going to read it, and there's no level of excitement. Yeah. If I see Brian Evanson, I go, ooh, ooh, this is going to be really exciting, and that's a collection of stories. I'm going to be a little let down. So this is a very personal vendetta against Brian Evanson? Not particularly, not not properly (laughs) pseudonyming yourself. Yeah, I see how right. it is. I see. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why this particular person, and, and I'm guessing some of it has to do because it was really androgynous, right? Yeah. That maybe it's to lead you to believe it's a woman writing it. And we don't talk enough about this. I don't know what the statistic is, and I, I get the feeling we tried to look at this maybe in year one. I think maybe four to one women outread men. Yeah. Just like a personal feeling. So I guess if you're going to write a book about women that get involved in a relationship and it's kind of a thriller, um, it might be a little more draw if a woman thinks it's written by a woman. I could see that. 
maybe that's one of the reasons why a, a pseudonym was used here. I just, I don't know. Or at least the, here's what I will say. And I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say it delicately. The women who care more about um, valuing a woman writer would want to read a book written by women. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. But then if you're going to use a pseudonym, why even say it's a pseudonym? Why not just publish it under just, that yeah, name and call just, it a day? Yeah. I guess now it's it's easier to, to figure that kind of, well, not figure out who it is. I mean, like I said, it was a Google search. It took me all of, you know, a minute to find out. I guess now you'd go, oh, well, I want to find out more about this person. And you look them up and there's nothing because there's no previous history. There's no Facebook page. If there's a Facebook page, it was created three months ago. Right. Um, so I guess it would be a little more apparent. But when you think about it, 25 years ago, if you just want to publish something under another name, how the hell was anybody going to find out who it was? Yeah. yeah. It would have to be big news. It would have to be Stephen King or, you know, that somebody discovered it. And it would have to make news for you to ever hear who that person is under. I don't know. <laughs> pseudonyms, man. It's kind of weird. Yeah, pseudonyms. Um, uh, we, yeah. Do you want to do another podcast under a pseudonym and see if people can figure out? I guess we probably shouldn't announce it, I guess, well, if we're going to do that. Yeah, well, no, let's do it under a pseudonym. Let's just make sure if you Google it, the first thing that comes up are pictures of us and our names. That's We have to do that. We should. What should we do this podcast? Well, we should probably talk about this off air. We should. We should yeah. launch another podcast and just right. find out. The, Coming soon, the, pod- you? <laughs> the podcast that you'll never know it's us until you figure it out it's us. I don't know that I want to give podcasting advice because I feel like every podcast is a competitor. Because, you know, that's how I am. Yeah, yeah. I recently heard about a podcast. I'm not even going to name it because it doesn't deserve to be named. And I said, oh, this might be a thing I'd be interested in. So I had some time at work to kill this morning. And I went to <laughs> my easiest one. I I, re, I did a factory restore on my phone. So I go, oh, crap, I don't have Stitcher. That's okay because Google has podcasts. Mm-hmm. I look, nothing under Google. I go, well, no big deal because I know that it hasn't really taken off for Google. I download Stitcher. I search for the podcast. doesn't exist. Podcasters should understand that iTunes is not the only place people listen to podcasts. As a matter of fact, um, I, I don't really have a good – I mean I have an iPad, but I don't really listen to podcasts at home. It's something I listen to when I'm out and about or at work. So now I'm never going to listen to this podcast because this podcaster couldn't spend – I don't know. What did it take you to set up Stitcher? 15 minutes? Um, five. Yeah. You know, doesn't make it available anywhere, apparently, but iTunes. I don't know this to be a fact, but I did check Stitcher, which has, I believe, the same number of podcasts as iTunes, maybe just a little bit less. But they're a big, big player in the podcast world, and they're free. They are the biggest platform-neutral podcast um, program that exists, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Yeah, and and there are ones where you can't find us, and you know why? Because you have to pay by episode, or you have to pay whatever. And we make ourselves available in enough places that I don't feel we need to do that. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm not going to listen to this podcast because I basically it's they've made it hard for me to listen. So if you're a podcaster, make it easy. Make it easy for your listeners or potential listeners to listen. I guess if someone's already a listener, they're listening on whatever platform you are. But even then, make it even easier for them to listen. Can I challenge that? Sure. How many? So, like, I mean, podcasts. Like, so your your complaint is that it's only available on iTunes. Yes. I, without even looking for a statistic, will tell you that the the majority of people who listen to pod podcasts do it through iTunes. That's <laughs> that's an unsubstantiated challenge. It may end up well, being an alternative fact. 
We're not yeah, sure. I, <laughs> well, okay. So and I'm not going to say that most most probably are because iTunes, I, I don't know if they invented the platform, but they definitely were the first ones to kind of curate all of it into one place. And the number of iPhone users, uh, I don't know if they outnumber the total number of Android users if we're just going to go on they mobile They definitely platforms. don't outnumber Android users, I will tell you that. Right, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Yes, I do believe that that's probably the number one spot. But, man, you are cutting off. So even if it is the most, it's got to be a 5149. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you're still cutting off almost half of the people that could listen. I'll, I mean – and. I'm on your In side this case, on this if one. it was if it was great, I would have mentioned it because I did mention a podcast on here that I thought people should listen to just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So then you know you expand, and it's the best kind. <laughs> so you're not even going to mention them because they haven't branched out yet. I like. Well, that. I don't know if they're any good. I, I don't know true. if I should That's mention true. them because yeah. I don't know if they're any good. And then listeners to this podcast who maybe don't use iTunes would be like, "Well, how the hell am I going to listen? Because it's not easy for me to find." Yeah. And I think, too, that having a podcast talk about how great your podcast is, is better. Like if. Yeah, it's got if, some. Yeah. Yeah. If one of our listeners decides to go to work tomorrow and go, oh, man, you got to listen to Live and Rob. These guys are great. They do a podcast. And the person's maybe not a podcast listener. They're going to go, I'm not really sure what that is or how do I find that? Or it seems like it's a lot of work for me to set this up to listen to them. People who are listening to this are already listening to a podcast. So if you were listening on Stitcher and I said, hey, when you're done with this, you totally <laughs> yeah. want to check out this podcast. Someone might go, fuck it. These guys seem like they know what they're talking about. I'm going to go listen to it and maybe they get a new listener, subscriber, fan, whatever you want to call it. Patreon contributor maybe. I don't know. Here's the weird irony. Um, we talked before about doing a secret podcast. That's the exact podcast that Livius is talking about. We're just doing some weird time travel thing right now. And he doesn't even realize it because time travel is confusing. And it hasn't been invented yet. Right. But it will by the time it will have. I'm trying to talk <laughs> in time travel speak. It's really confusing. Yep. Yep. Um, it did to, happen yeah. very soon. <laughs> I was, you know, I was re-listening to our interview with um, Jeffrey Craner from Welcome to Night Vale. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a moment where we were talking about um, explaining or choosing not to explain the story mechanics like of certain things. Sure. And how we both agreed that it was great when stories just like kind of say, explain it by saying that no one understands how it works. And um, it made me think of Time Pimp, where like uh, by uh, was Garrett Cook, right? Yes. What a great book. Um, where at one point someone just says, no one understands how time time travel works. And that's all you needed to hear. And I think that's how we're talking about time travel right now. No one gets it. That is correct. I don't even know what, what got me going on yeah. that tangent, by the way. But it's just like, yeah. it's just, part of it, too, is I'm not a morning person. So I got to tell you, I've, I've been awake for all of 40 minutes, and I'm going, fuck, why can't I find this anywhere? And I was like, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. So well, you know what I did? I listened to my favorite podcast. I listened to Booked. I listened to Dracula versus Hitler, which I had not listened to yet. It was a good yet. episode. Um, it was a really good episode. Really I, only good got, episode. I only got like 45 minutes in. So I think we had just done our wrap-ups. I didn't hear anything after that. We're bringing it lately with the um, the duration of the episodes, but um, here's I guess moral of the story: if you are a, a a podcaster, if you're an established podcaster, or if you are starting a new podcast, do the diligence, man. Make that podcast available as in, in as many ways as you can, because people are going to hear about it probably through something that's platform neutral, like Facebook or Twitter. And our, our you know the few people in the world that use Android, actually it's probably a majority of people in the world, are going to need a way to find that too. We discovered this, you know. Um, do yourself a favor. Just make it available. 
And that's our new podcast is going to be talking about how to make a podcast. There are already podcasts talking about how to make a podcast. Yeah, but this is going to be like cool because we're going to be sabotaging future podcasts because we're bitter and jealous. <laughs> we're just going to give them misinformation. Really bad advice. The worst advice. <laughs> oh. Just if you're going to interview people, name that segment the hot seat. You have to do that. That's that is key. Yeah, That's a key. this is a key alert here from. <laughs> this is a key um, podcasting alert. Did did we talk on the podcast about like I don't even know how on, on YouTube I was watching this guy. I feel like we talked about it on the podcast, and he was like, "Here's how to how to write like thirty books in thirty days or whatever." And he was talking about like outsourcing shit and yeah. just writing really short books yeah, that were like twenty pages up. long. Yeah, that's that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a podcast that sounds a lot like uh, like that guy. Let's do it, man. Like self help for the helpless, I think is what it's gonna be. Or something like that. Giving people really, really bad advice. It's like, you know how you're miserable right now? That's the best you're ever going to feel. Keep reading. Like, we still use the same sign-off. Yeah, yeah. I think think this is a go. This is probably likely to get farther than our other ideas, and I'll I'll rehash some of them. Pichos? Pichos, excellent idea. Never went anywhere. Yeah, never went anywhere with it. Do you remember when we could do a podcast where we review every every episode of Happy Days? Oh, man. Dude, that still holds a place in my heart. Um... (laughs) 100 happy days 100 happy days that's right i was thinking about uh, that because i was in one of our shared <laughs> accounts somewhere and there were three episodes of happy days that i uploaded in preparation for doing that and that's it just so never far. went anywhere oh that's so far we got we were gonna start watching episodes of happy days yeah that was good we were gonna write erotica to see how well it sold <laughs> um i'm still working on the first draft of she's got braces number three yeah, she's got braces number three. That's correct. Um, do we have? I'm sure we had other great ideas that uh, oh, unrealized. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those are some of the best, though. Those are the ones that have like really risen to the top. Yeah. Can Can I talk to you for a second? Amanda Gowan's writing erotica now. Apparently. Did you oh see this? yeah, she uh, she put a, uh, a little social media update somewhere, right? Yeah. And uh, I think we need to to do more research into this because I uh, I think that uh, that's something we want to look into because you know it's just weird. Yeah, um, I'm going to that update right now because I think it's a ma- it, it makes sense to uh, um, to read the exact update. And here we go. Just five hours before we started recording this episode, Amanda posted on Facebook. So I accidentally invented a new fiction genre, and I dub it dystopian Elizabethan mythic erotica. Which is super catchy, I know. I'll read some dystopian Elizabethan mythic, mythic erotica. I'm All down. Then. I'm down. Let's do it. If it's done, can we do it for next week? Since apparently we have no plan. Um, if you're a new listener to the podcast, um, you may not know this. Um, longtime listeners will. Livius basically has two functions in the podcast. He decides what we read. <laughs> and he schedules things like interviews because I'm terrible with a calendar. Um, so I'm going to put the blame on, on Livius for the fact that we can't tell you right now what the next book is. I really thought we were three in a row and we were going to an interlude and I well, forgot that we, we did a book and then we did an interlude in two in a row. Cause I was really proud yeah. of us for doing three in a row. Like I was feeling that today. I was thinking about it, how great it was. And then I realized that didn't happen when you said <laughs> And the one that we did before that was 27 pages of reading. So not let's yeah. not judge let's not judge a book by its size let's judge it by its quality it's not the boat it's the motion uh, in the ocean is that so 
I mean, the motion in that ocean was great. Yes. But it was uh, it was a quick trip across the ocean, is what I'm trying to say. That was it was a very quick trip. Um, I don't know. Maybe we will do. I know that we're going to do another book live here very very soon. Oh, I'm not even God. sure. Yeah, let's when, do But that. I know it's coming soon. As a matter of fact, this is how sure I was. We did three in a row. I was actually going to pitch to you earlier today that we just <laughs> record the interlude right after this, so you already had everything you needed for the next for this week and for next week. <laughs> Um, it's going to get a little tricky too, because as Livius knows, but the listeners do not, Rob's going on a little vacay soon. So in about a week and a half, I'll be heading out to sunny Oregon for about a week and a half. So we'll have to figure out how that goes. So I think we're going to do a review next and then we're going to slap an interlude down just so that like, I've got time to be away. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we'll come back with some sort of plan at some point, but, um, we're definitely sticking to, we're very dedicated to doing more reviews in 2017. Um, I think we could stand to do like a significant percentage more. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it would be that difficult. So, I will say, though, that we're probably not, and as much as I appreciate um, someone approached us about reviewing something, and they asked if they could send us a PDF. Oh, did you see that message? Yeah, I did. I was going to bring. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up. Um, that particular message, and I won't name any names. I won't name any books. So this is this person remains, you know, protected with anonymity. That message horribly, horribly constructed. Will you agree with me on that? Yes, I, I think grammatically it maybe wasn't correct, and, and punctuality punctuation mm-hmm. was was terrible. And then it was an offer of a PDF. Yeah, yeah, PDF. Like, it's 2017 now. We've basically elected Hitler, and somehow people still think that PDFs are okay. Well, in um, a world gone horribly wrong, yeah, maybe PDFs. that's all we'll have eventually. Yeah. Amazon will we'll be like, hey, let's review this book, and then you're going you're gonna to buy it, and it's going to come to you in the form of a PDF only. <laughs> There's All right, but I can't say much about the person who sent us a message before that, like a week a week prior. Um, and I won't, I won't name names on this because, you know, it's not nice to just, you know, pick people apart. Here's the part, here's the part of the message that really bothers me. So this person, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so. I know you probably get all these messages, but, um, I'm the author of these books. I've won these awards. I wanted to see if you could do an interview or a review, blah, blah, blah. And he says, he says, I saw, you know, a specific author was on your podcast and I figured I'd give it a try. And here's my problem with that. It didn't say that I listened to you talking to that author or I experienced your podcast in any capacity. I saw that this person was on there. I'm trying to figure out how to see this message now because I think I missed that one somehow. <laughs> I'm going to... No, I'm, I'm, I think I've got it. It's the Brandon oh, yeah. Daily one. I, yeah, I totally did not see this 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 message. I did somehow miss that message. I just went back and read it, and uh, you know, it doesn't sound bad. But mm. yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Rob. It's all in the approach. Like I, I realize that the majority of people listening, probably all the people, well, maybe not all the people listening, um, at some point got an approach from us. 
on something. <laughs> and I will tell you that I think our approach, our, our email approach for an interview or, or for a review copy is is actually pretty good. Unless you're like Jeremy Robert Johnson, where I just send messages in the middle of the night where I go, dude, we totally want to read this. But, you know, we kind of know Jeremy. So he get, he doesn't get like the official like email <laughs> like, hi, I'm so and so from Book Podcast. And here's what we do. And here's why we want to have you on. And, you know. Yeah, but here's the thing with us. Like if we ask someone to be interviewed by us. We've read your book. Without fail, we have read your book. Excellent point. Excellent point. Because I remember us. Yeah, I never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drudge up old stuff. But I remember us <laughs> kind of calling some people out on that previously. Yeah. So anyway, and I'm, and the funny thing is, I'm looking through messages that we've received from people, and I see the people who have treated us well have gotten responses, and the people who just like are cold calling us for bullshit, no response. And I feel pretty good about that. Dude, I spent, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to, listen, it doesn't matter why. Many episodes ago, I said that I had a copy of something, a digital copy of something I obtained online that's not available for purchase. It's never going to be available for purchase. It's a movie of, um, that was a, a very small budget movie that was made of, of a book that I really, really liked. And somebody found that podcast, listened because of what we reviewed and said, hey, I know it's been a long time. You did mention, you know, that they had a copy that you would give anybody that got a hold of you. Yep. I had, you know, my my last computer that died. I had to actually pull that hard drive out <laughs> and data transfer this film off so I could give it to somebody because their approach was, I listened, I realized it's ridiculous because it's been so long, but is there any chance? And I, yeah, it took me like a goddamn hour. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because you approached it the right way and you started by saying, hey, I listened to this episode and... and cool you know so i don't know whatever yeah goes a long way man like it's um it's it's like yeah it's it's the difference between um like having a mutual uh caring about something or just using someone for a result and it's like i'm not saying that we get hundreds of messages a day and it's just beating us down or anything but like we're going to give priority to the people that obviously know what's going on with us all it is and we would expect the exact same from anybody else if we walked and that's the reason that we don't send a message out to george rr R. martin and say hey we want to interview you because i fucking never read anything by him i've shit talked the, the the tv show that is made by his uh you know off of his books so i would feel really weird going hey man let's get an interview just because you're you're a famous person i um I actually read a book by him I really enjoyed, but he probably doesn't want to talk about Fever Dream that he wrote like in the <laughs> 80s that nobody has ever heard of because that's all I'd want to talk about for 45 minutes. Dude, I, I bet you he would be just tickled to talk about Fever Dream. Instead of, yeah, yeah. It's like we're not going to yeah. ask him like who exactly. else is going to die in Clash yeah. of Earth. I'll fucking read that just okay. to get George Martin on the I was going to the... call it Clash of Titans, but I don't. that's not what it's called. Game of Thrones. <laughs> a little bit different. There's a clockwork owl in one of them. Yeah, and the better of the two. I like Game of Thrones, but I love Clash of Titans. Oh man, um, are we? Do we have anything else? No, I think that uh, we've offered all the advice we could offer. One podcast. We're like, listen, here's what everybody's fucking doing wrong, and we're doing right. That's really what we spent this last half hour doing. I feel. I. I think that's fine. I could put my stamp on this. <laughs> Uh, one more one more thing I'd like to say that um, you, you've probably noticed recently, and I think this is going to be a big theme for 2017, when we review a book, we're going to do our best to put some spoiler stuff on Patreon. Um, it is definitely 
a very different tone of conversation than we can get away with doing the regular review. So if you enjoy our reviews and you like the kind of casual, fun tone that happens with our, you know, after the book conversation, that really comes through in in our spoiler review talk. So just head over to Patreon. If you uh, pledge a dollar a month, you get access to that. If you pledge more, you still have access to that. You just might get other stuff as well. So definitely worth your time to go over there. Um, pledge us some money. And um, we'll do awesome stuff. Like uh, coming up, we're going to be going to StokerCon. And it's all because the Patreon contributors are so generous. So um, I usually don't do some sort of impassioned plea. But man, don't miss out on something that's actually a lot of fun. Spoiler talk is is a lot of fun. Mostly because we don't have a format. So I, I know that yeah. we feel pretty loose here, and it's it's if you've said, oh, it's like listening to a conversation, because that's what it is. Rob and I, um, last week, was it, I think, or two weeks ago, we stayed on and talked, and Rob said, this is no different than us doing an episode. And we just talked for an hour about bullshit after the podcast. So, um, But it's even looser than that, because we have no format. Like, here we have an idea of how we want to handle something there. <laughs> yeah. We're like, man, can you fucking believe this shit? Like, that's, it's, that's, yeah, we'll interrupt each other. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, yeah. until next time um, when we'll be doing something, probably a book, which means I have to spend half the night tonight deciding on what to review. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.